Hello and welcome to All Villa, No Filler, a podcast all about Aston Villa, the world's greatest football team. I'm going it alone in this episode as I look at why the pressure is building on Villa manager Steven Gerrard after Villa's 1-0 loss to West Ham. Before I start, this is a readout of an article I've published on our brand new website. You can check it out at allvillanofiller.com. Now to matters at hand at Villa Park. The pressure is building for Villa manager Steven Gerrard already. Four games into the season and, well, it ain't great. What are Villa and who are we trying to be? Towards the end of last season, Villa were largely underwhelming, but it was only right to be patient and give manager Steven Gerrard a full pre-season to work on team shape and bring in new recruits. The signings of Bubakar Kamara and Diego Carlos were exciting and the Australia tour was a success. So, after all that, how have we Villa fans turned so rapidly into a collective gathering of Gene Takovics? Take your mind off Villa and watch Better Call Saul, folks. You'll understand the Gene Takovic reference and you'll also be treated to an incredible TV show. Anyway, back to Villa. It's a sign of how poor Villa's displays have been that so many fans have already lost faith after just four games this season. From the first minute of the opening match where Bournemouth's Jefferson Lerma scored from a corner, something has not looked right. The team can't convincingly defend set pieces. The defence looks vulnerable. There is barely any coherence in the final third and substitutions hardly ever make any positive difference. In hindsight, the warning signs were flashing in pre-season when Villa played Manchester United in Australia. Eric Ten Hag's side utterly dominated Villa in the first half when Gerrard's men used a diamond formation, with Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings up front and Coutinho playing just off them. Villa could not get the ball out of their own half and United took a well-deserved 2-0 lead. However, to their credit, Villa fought back impressively in the second half to draw 2-2. This happened after Gerrard shifted to a 4-3-3 and threw Leon Bailey onto the pitch. A few weeks later, during Villa's opening game of the season at Bournemouth, Gerrard stuck with the 4-3-3. Unfortunately for us fans, his side were, let's face it, abject. The Cherries, who lost 9-0 at Anfield this weekend, by the way, are likely the weakest team Villa will face all season but Gerrard's men barely had a shot on target. Instead, the ball was constantly lumped forward onto the clunking great head of six-foot-three defender Chris Mepham, leaving poor Danny Ings carrying the expression of a lost soul, desperately searching for the miracle of somebody to just give him a clear-cut chance. Gerrard changed formation again during the following week's win over Everton and went back to the diamond formation, with Ings and Watkins up front together. For some reason, Frank Lampard went with five at the back, treating his opponents like prime Guardiola-era Barcelona. It was an odd choice and backfired for the Everton manager. However, Amadou Anana's introduction in the second half caused serious trouble for Villa and almost led to a late catastrophic collapse by the home side, who just about hung on to win 2-1. Villa then moved to 4-3-3 again at Crystal Palace, where the midfield could not deal with Eberichi Eze or Wilfred Zahar. When in control of the ball, Villa would often aimlessly pass around at the back, waiting for a midfielder to take it off them and progress further up the pitch. But throughout the match, there was hardly ever a midfield option to receive the pass and Villa therefore looked meandering and listless. 
Instead, Palace's forwards would pressure Villa's defenders and force them into making a mistake, or the defenders would belt the ball upfield, hoping it might land on the head or chest of lone striker Ollie Watkins. The Palace game also saw a common theme of this season, where a substitution didn't work. At about the 65th minute mark, Gerard chose to abandon the 4-3-3 and move back to the diamond shape by replacing Leon Bailey with Danny Ings. After that, Villa somehow managed to cede further control of midfield, which culminated in Palace scoring a third goal about five minutes after Ings entered the field. Only after the villains went 3-1 down did Gerrard freshen up the midfield by replacing John McGinn with Douglas Louise. By then, sadly, it was all too late. And so to this weekend where Villa lost again. This time it was perennial bogey team West Ham who turned up at Villa Park to beat Gerrard's passive band of brothers 1-0 and confuse noted West Villa or West Villam maybe fan David Cameron about whether he should have been happy or upset. Speaking of confusion, we must wonder why Gerard took off Douglas Louise in the second half. The Brazilian was performing well enough alongside Bubakar Kamara and offered some semblance of balance. But it was he who came off for Jacob Ramsey, who then formed the same midfield three with John McGinn and Bubakar Kamara, which had failed to deal with Crystal Palace a week beforehand. Soon after Louise left the field, West Ham's Saeed Benrahma made himself a chance by easily running through the centre of the pitch. It was a warning of what was to come. Just minutes later, Pablo Fornells found space outside the Villa box and scored a fortuitous deflected winner. West Ham's first goal of the season was fortunate, but sometimes in football, you make your own luck. The Hammers were abject in the first half, but their manager, David Moyes, was smart enough to change his side's shape. His team then took control of the second half for the most part. Villa, in contrast, could not find an answer to Moyes' innovation. Most worryingly, Villa ended this home game against a struggling Hammers side with an expected goals number of 0.4. In his post-match review of the game, Match for the Day pundit Micah Richards highlighted instances of players getting in each other's way and Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings making the same runs. Richards also showed Ings coming out wide and making an overlapping run when he should have been in the box waiting for a chance. It was brutal viewing and highlighted why Villa could not muster clear-cut chances despite having an abundance of attacking talent. So what's next for Aston Villa? There will of course be pundits who argue Villa fans have been too quick to voice their displeasure. We are forever told supporters must be patient or even worse, don't understand football to the same level ex-pros do and we should therefore all just shut up and accept whatever proper football men tell us. Okay, sure thing. There are virtues to exacting patience and there will always be a vocal minority of fans at every club who moan endlessly on the terraces or fire off hysterical tweets about how any manager is, quote, in the mud or needs to get out of my club after one unconvincing draw against a struggling side. The truth here, though, is that Villa fans have been largely patient with Gerrard. There were fair questions about the team's approach last season, but few were calling for the manager's head. Right now, after a full pre-season and a number of new signings, it's almost impossible to figure out what Villa are trying to be. It feels like anybody could beat them. Can this turn around? Well, Villa has a talented collection of players who could achieve positive results if they were operating in a functioning system. Football also has a rich history of sides rediscovering their form after a period of struggle. However, at this moment, 
it's hard to believe things will change for the better. Perhaps Gerard will find the right shape. Maybe he'll land upon a formation that works consistently. But every passing week makes it harder to believe that will happen. Who are Villa's next fixtures? Arsenal and Manchester City. That requires the deepest gulp I've ever taken. One comparison worth noting is Newcastle and their manager, Eddie Howe. Compare Villa's ongoing woes to Newcastle's transformation under Howe, who took charge around the same time as Gerrard. After a poor start, Newcastle turned their form around with two inspired signings in Kieran Trippier and Bruno Guimaraes. Alan Saint-Maximin, a player Howe inherited, has also become a more consistent and electric player under the former Bournemouth coach. Their assigned recruitment has largely worked on Tyneside, while Howe has also improved the players he first took charge of. Newcastle were exceptional against an awesome Manchester City side last week, drawing 3-3. Every player looked as though they knew their role and fought for everything at St James's Park. It strongly suggested Newcastle's players had bought into a collective idea introduced by Howe. From the outside, Newcastle have developed a winning mentality. Their hard-fought performances and excellent form suggests the players have a unified belief in Howe's approach. It may not last. It may eventually fall apart, but for now, it looks like it's working. Is any of that clear at Villa Park right now? Unfortunately not. And it really is quite a stark contrast. All Villa, no filler on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. So we turn to the recruitment. Villa have spent big since Steven Gerrard joined. At the turn of the year, the overall approach appeared to move towards signing ready-made players on large salaries. Most of those players have little sell-on value and the likes of Coutinho and Luca Dean are on significant salaries. This is serious expenditure, which must put Villa among one of the highest paying clubs outside the Premier League's top six. Given such spending, the board would absolutely expect to push for Europe and trophies, a prospect which currently feels light years away. Have these signings really made much of a difference? I would argue not yet. In fact, if we look at it, Villa have barely improved since their arrival. Villa's approach to transfers have been quite confusing for about a year now. It all began when they signed Danny Ings during the summer of 2021. It came out of nowhere on the day our much-beloved Jack Grealish left for Manchester City. Ings was a proven goalscorer and a talented player, but... His signing was still quite random when Villa already had a lead striker in Ollie Watkins, who had performed well in his first season at the club, scoring 14 league goals. What were Villa aiming for when they signed Ings? Was there a plan to move to two up front? Did the dealmakers expect two quality strikers in Ings or Watkins to accept the rotational role? Would Watkins perhaps be moved out wide in Villa's then favoured 4-3-3? Ings is a high-quality player, and this is no criticism of his ability, but it is fair to look back and ask what the plan was when the club signed him for a significant outlay. In fairness to the recruitment team, Villa have made very good signings in Bubakar Kamara and Diego Carlos. The injury to Carlos was depressingly unfortunate, as he added physicality to the defence. And Kamara has looked a quality player with exceptional distribution and tackling. Villa have done well to sign the former Marseille man. Another issue to take into consideration is the captaincy. 
on this long, joyous ride through the various trials and tribulations of supporting Aston Villa, we must consider some of the odd decisions made off the pitch. The decision to take the captaincy from Tyron Mings and hand it to John McGinn has not worked so far. It provided a negative backdrop which only served to alienate the fans and who knows how it all went down in the dressing room. McGinn has not performed well enough this season to even guarantee himself a starting spot. He's a talented midfielder and can play much better than his current form suggests, but it does leave Gerrard with a self-inflicted problem of potentially having to drop a player he has just given the captaincy to. Of course, Gerrard had every right to name his own captain, and Mings likely has the personality to deal with the issue but it all just feels like a drama the club never really had to endure. So let's look ahead. It's a perplexing moment to be a Villa fan. We love this club and we desperately want to see everything move in a positive direction. Most of us will try to stay positive and support the side through it all. But will the board decide Gerard is the man to keep the spirits of the Villa faithful up? We will find out very soon. Things need to improve and quick. Football is a funny game and can be hard to predict at the best of times. Perhaps Villa may turn up at the Emirates and pull off a surprise against a very informed Arsenal side. Let's just hope they do. Thank you everybody for listening and enduring that with me all on my own. I've been your host, Frankie Maguire. Not everyone will agree with all I've said and I would love to hear from you and your thoughts about the Villa if you have any disagreements or if you do agree and just want to get in touch. If so, email allvillanofilla at gmail.com. Whatever happens over the next week, let's all get behind this great football club. We'll be back soon on the podcast, but until then, come on Super Aston Villa.